Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion, and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a good position, uh, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into the discussion today, we want to say thanks for the questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Andy J., Mike A., Jared W., Janet M., and Gordon S. So today we are talking with Nolan Watson, President, CEO, and Director of Sandstorm Gold Royalties, a gold and natural resource-focused royalty and streaming business. The company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol S-A-N-D and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol S-S-L. Nolan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So, Nolan, I want to start out by having you take us back before you became involved with this business. Tell us about your time before Silver Wheaton and then kind of proceed into Silver Wheaton. After that, of course, Silver Wheaton now is Wheaton Precious Metals. But then after that, get us into how and why you started and settled with your own company, Sandstorm Gold Royalties. Okay. Uh, brief history, I guess, of, of me. I'm a finance guy originally, but spent my whole career in the mining industry. So originally did a Bachelor of Commerce, graduated with honors from University of British Columbia out here in Western Canada, and then went right into articling to be a, a CPA and uh, wrote that exam, finished the first out of a thousand people in Western Canada on that exam and became the valedictorian of the Institute uh, here in British Columbia. And then went on and did a CFA designation while I, I finished articling and got hired right out of that to a company called Gold Corp, which uh, became one of the world's largest gold mining companies. Uh, ironically enough, they're going to be no more. They just got bought out by the biggest gold mining company in the world here, or they're in the process of being bought out. But uh, while I was working there, working uh, with a guy named Ian Telfer and doing mergers and acquisitions and valuation analysis, they were creating a company called Silver Wheaton. And so I went over and, and eventually worked part-time there and then, then into a full-time job and then became their, their chief financial officer. And I think I was 26 at the time. So I still believe I hold the world record for youngest CFO of a multi-billion dollar New York Stock Exchange listed company in the world. And did that for a number of years and then decided to venture out on my own and create Sandstorm with another one of Silver Wheaton's employees, a guy named Dave Orham, and we've been growing it for 10 years now, and it's uh, up to about a billion-dollar market cap, and, and we're continuing to grow it. So it's it's been a fun ride. So through your experience this far, what has worked well in the royalty and streaming business, and what has failed to work? Well, I think the key theme that has caused people to, on average, make money in the streaming royalty space is that when you buy a royalty on a project, you get the exploration upside of that asset for free. You don't have to contribute to the cost of drilling. You don't have to contribute to the cost of operation. Our, our whole business effectively is a check collecting machine. People mine their mines and they pay us royalties. And we go out, we use that capital and we buy more royalties and we continue to expand our portfolio. So what works is is exposing yourself to the exploration upside of as many projects as you can in sort of a diversified portfolio effect. And it allows us to always be churning up positive cash flow. Uh, for example, the industry, when gold prices went really low, caused share prices in the entire industry to go down. And one of the things that's beneficial of being a streaming royalty company is we're still churning out 
significant positive cash flow. So we started buying back a bunch of our shares and, and we're in the process of buying back 10% of our company this year. But uh, what doesn't work, we found, is when you uh, get involved in a project where you're taking too much of a percentage of the economics. I think that's the the tendency or a mistake that is often made in our industry where you find an opportunity as a royalty company to buy a royalty on a project. You're usually dealing with the company directly. They need the money to go build the mine or something like that. And they need such a large amount of money that you give it all to them and you take such a large royalty that all of a sudden they wake up and they realize they don't really have that much incentive to mine their mine because you're taking all of their economics. And uh, and they stop investing in that mine and they start investing in other mines. So we've got a significant focus at Sandstorm and to ensure we don't make that mistake. I'd seen that mistake made in, in previous companies that I've worked with. And so we, we try to stay under a certain percentage of the economics of any one asset and just build a portfolio. So we're up to 189 uh, royalties today and continuing to grow the portfolio. Great. Well, you mentioned uh, you know buying back shares of the company at these levels. And I, I think it was a good decision because instead of you know paying back dividends or something like that, you're buying back shares that are fundamentally under undervalued, uh, at least in my view. So I think uh, that was a good move on your part. So in your opinion, where are we today in the natural resource cycle with relation to gold, uh, other precious metals, and perhaps base metals? Do you see that we are at a near sentiment low and at a low valuation today in the space? We certainly are with respect to precious metals, and when I say precious metals, I typically link gold and silver because they trade together, and they trade almost in the opposite direction of a lot of the base metals, the coppers, the zincs, et cetera, and although technically platinum and palladium are precious metals and referred to as precious, I'm using air quotes here, the reality is that they're just highly priced industrial metals and their supply demand fundamentals for manufacturing determine which way their price goes. So so when I say precious metals, referring to gold and silver, and I would say I've never been more excited than I have, uh, well, at least not in the last decade, about the sentiment for precious metals. I think uh, the world has never had this much debt before. The U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio, when all forms of debt are considered, has never been this high ever. Uh, the world wide debt to GDP ratio has never been this high ever and we're starting to see some cracks form with a global synchronous slowdown in in economic growth and I think you're going to continue to see some problems and you know I'm not necessarily calling for a recession right now but there's enough cracks showing that it's getting people nervous that they're starting to look for ways to protect themselves and when they do that gold and silver are typically some of the things that they turn to and any real assets that will protect them from either inflation or uh, recessions or credit crises and those types of things. So we're starting to hear gold mentioned a lot in the media for the first time. It feels like it's been forever, but it's, I guess it's really only been six or seven years. And so I'm, I'm very, very bullish on gold and silver base metals. I am, I wouldn't say bearish. I guess it depends on what time horizon you want to talk about. I think the price of copper, for example, is going to be quite a bit higher than it is today, five years from now. But I think it's probably got a bit of a pullback coming at some point when there is you know, recessions in some of the larger economies in the world. And and when that happens, copper tends to overreact to the downside, and then it typically bounces back pretty quick. So I think if you're holding 
uh, copper stocks or companies that mine copper make sure that they don't have very much debt so that if that does happen they can they can survive that right so with this look at it today in terms of context of how things looked perhaps Nolan in uh, maybe a 2001 2000 uh, yeah probably around a 2001 time frame where the broad market kind of went down off the tech bubble but then you looked at natural resources and they kind of held their own and then they start going up how does that compare maybe to today well, I, th I think what you're seeing right now in the economy is, is I mean, the equity prices are repricing themselves just because cost of capital generally has been been increasing. So whenever the Federal Reserve increases interest rates, it makes all cost of capital higher. You know, interest rates and bonds trade higher and bond prices get depressed. And because that's an opportunity cost for the equity market, the equity markets pull back at the same time. And so I think that really doesn't have a lot to do necessarily with the fundamental supply and demand at any particular time in the, in the actual metals. I think most people would agree that right now the U.S. economy in particular is still very fundamentally strong in terms of low unemployment and and uh, manufacturing continues to to do fairly well. And, and demand for metals around the world is is fairly high. So there is a decoupling between what equity valuations have been doing and and what metals prices have been doing, but I think you're you're starting to see people get worried on the metal pricing side in particular because they're starting to not look all the way out to 2021, but they're looking out to say end of 2019, mid part of 2020, thinking that there's a 50% chance of a recession, and if there is, metal prices are going to pull back. So you're starting to see hedge funds reposition themselves into a, a less long position in, in base metals and perhaps a more long position in precious metals. And and I think you're going to continue to see that sort of trading and, and that sort of downward price pressure on base metals and upward price pressure on precious metals through 2020. And then 2021 really depends on, it's too hard to guess 2021, it depends on, on how the economy shapes up in 2020. My guess is that the base metals have probably recovered by the end of 2021. Well, interesting insights. So earlier you mentioned Golden Corp getting together, and, and before that we saw uh, Bristow's Rangold get together with Barrick. Um, what needs to happen in the sector as a whole going forward? What are the top concerns of yours that need to change, and how might we get there? Well, I, th I think what you're talking about in those mergers is a really good thing for the industry in general. The metals and mining space, particularly precious metals, is an incredibly small space when measured against other industries around the world. One of the challenges that we have is that our companies on average are just so small, they're not investable to the world's largest generalist investors. And so typically the, the institutional investors that would own your typical gold company would be industry-specific institutional investors, so gold equity funds. And those funds typically don't have that much money. And so for our, our space to have better valuations and have better price performance and get better share price returns for shareholders, we need more capital to come into the space. And we, uh, I particularly think that in order to do that, you need more generalist investor capital. And to do that, you need to have bigger companies, which means you need mergers. So I think, I think you're going to see more mergers like that. You're going to see companies looking for the first time in a long time for a scale, for the sake of scale because they need scale to be investable by those large generalist investors. And so I think you're going to see quite a bit more M&A, and, and quite frankly, we need it. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. 
so, so you've been around in the business for to see some of the cycles. So at the top during the last cycle, when gold was around 1,900 U.S. dollars per ounce, uh, were you of the view that most of the deals during these kind of greed levels were not worth taking from a value standpoint? And with that, do you see that certain points during the life of the cycle, it's best to kind of sit on the sideline with cash while you wait for solid value propositions? Yeah, the idea and one of the great things about the metals and mining industry is if you can control your emotions and your fear and your greed, you will have opportunities to sell high and, and to buy low. Uh, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is that just because I've learned and been part of the industry for a long period of time and have been through a lot of cycles and I've learned to manage those emotions doesn't mean that my investors have. And, and often you're for retail investors, for example, who are investing in their first cycle, when gold is going up, I mean, I remember when gold was $1,800 on its way to $1,900, and retail investors, all they wanted to talk about was, what are you buying next? What are you buying next? What are you buying next? Don't worry about the price. The gold price is going higher. It's going to $5,000. Just buy whatever you can buy. And then some CEOs listened, and they bought a whole bunch of things overpriced. And then when gold didn't go to 5000 it went back down to 1100 those same investors told the CEO that they were idiots. They sold their shares and stopped investing in the gold space. And so I think it takes uh, an experienced executive, one who's been through various cycles before, to literally ignore their shareholders at the top of the market and say, no, now is the time to accumulate cash and or pay a dividend and or, or return capital to shareholders and special dividends, but do not buy things. Wait, because things are going to get very cheap. And at the bottom of the cycle, you see the opposite. The bottom of the cycle, investors are so scared and so tired, the last thing they want the CEO to do is is buy something. And I think it takes a gutsy CEO at the bottom of the cycle to step out and start making large acquisitions. And so we've we've been focusing on that, and and we've been using the bottom at Sandstorm to really build our, our company, probably 60% to 70% of the net asset value that we have in our company today was all bought at the bottom of this last cycle. So we're pretty excited for the next upswing in the cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I remember a number of the, the news releases about some of these acquisitions that you guys did get on board with. And so, again, congratulations for having that visionary leadership to step out there with cash and when nobody else wants to and even take on a little bit of leverage to get the job done. So back a number of years ago, you had a sister business called Sandstorm Metals and Energy, which was kind of taking deals across the natural resource realm from base metals, oil and gas, et cetera. As you know, Franco Nevada has been diversifying their business portfolio. I know the company's mostly focused on precious metals and royalties and streams at Sandstorm. But when you see significant value propositions in other metals, not specifically in gold, do you believe that it is prudent to consider taking some other deals when they are significantly de-risked from a fundamental standpoint? So one of the things that we tell our investors is that first and foremost, we're a precious metals company. Um, and so we want people who want exposure to gold and silver to invest in sandstorms. So you'll never wake up and one day see us with 30 or 40% of our revenue coming from anything other than, than precious metals. So we're, we're going to continue to focus on that. Having said that, Often when we do a transaction in gold, it might come with copper or it might come with zinc. And so our rule of thumb is that as long as 80% or more of our revenue is from precious metals, then, then we're happy. So when we're talking about that other 20%, companies like Franco Nevada, you're right, they typically 
put it in oil and gas. They've got a, an oil team that's pretty strong technically, and they're they're very good in that sector. Our technical geologists and engineers are their sweet spot in terms of skill set is hard rock mining, not oil and gas necessarily. And so when we look at copper or zinc, it's it's always in in hard rock mines. Right, and I and I think when you're looking at a deal for you guys, you guys probably base a significant amount on on you know what's what's the fundamentals, what's the value proposition with the precious metal side of that deposit, and if there's some upside in some of these other non-core you know metals, uh, it's kind of icing on the cake. I think is probably what you guys probably look at. So along those lines, I want to I want to twist your arm just a little bit for a moment about uranium and the current market status as potentially one of the most significant value propositions, as we talked about earlier. And then you've seen a new royalty business come along in the uranium space, Uranium Royalty Corp., which is a private company yet to be listed. Uh, they've just gotten into the market, arguably near the lows in price sentiment and probably one of the best fundamental value setups. Do you see that there are key opportunities to fulfill capital needs in this sector by way of royalties and streaming as a model? And is it something that Sandstorm might consider for a small percentage of their portfolio? Yeah, right now, uranium is not something that we're looking at specifically, although I will admit I think that it is one of the most, if not the most depressed commodity out there, period. And if there's a good way to invest in it, then I'd suggest people people seriously look at it. To, to this point, I haven't found a uranium royalty or a uranium stream that got me excited that wasn't so large that it would put Sandstorm off that 80-20 rule. So it's not really something that's right for Sandstorm. I, I do think if someone is capable of starting a uranium royalty business and they think that they can buy uranium royalties, they absolutely should do it. And this is the right right time of the cycle to be doing it, no question. So, I, yeah, I saw just on that subject, I saw uranium royalty had secured a option uh, on a royalty for Paladin's Langer Heinrich mine in Namibia. And you see advanced projects like NextGen's Aero Deposit up in the Athabasca Basin, surely looking for different ways to mix their financing going forward as they develop. So I, I think that it's something that, you know, it'll be interesting to see if other companies look at it, look at the royalties on some of these really highly attractive uh, propositions. Uh, I think there's a couple out there. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how people look at it going forward. So Nolan, you've taken the uh, royalty model beyond natural resources with your venture and Royalty North Partners. What works well when applying these models to like commercial retail? What challenges have occurred and how are you improving the venture at this point to regain value? Yeah, my uh, my 99.9% focus in life is uh, is Sandstorm Gold in terms of profession. So I had been peripherally involved in <clears throat> something that was trying to take it outside of, of metals and mining, but not uh, as an executive or, or anything like that. I do think that the royalty model is a good way to finance businesses generally. There are a number of companies already that do it in other industries. It's you know, it's been done for a very long period of time in in the music industry and in royalty financing. It's now being used in movies. It's being used in pharmaceuticals to develop drugs. It's it's a form of financing that's kind of going global right now. I think it's just much more more evolved these days in terms of the number and and competitiveness of companies in the metals and mining space. There's you know, for example, five world-class companies doing it in precious metals already, and uh, Sandstorm is one of those. And so I, I think you'll continue to see the form of financing grow and evolve because it really does align the interests of the management teams of the companies and the royalty holders. We want our our partners to do well. When we give money to a company, 
at Sandstorm, we are looking for them to do well. It's a lot different relationship than, say, a bank lending money because the bank doesn't really care if the company does well. The bank just wants to make the principal and interest back. And whereas the better the company can do, the better we do, and the more incentives are aligned to accomplish that. So I want to get into Sandstorm Gold here in just a moment, but I want to ask you one more thing. On your guys' royalty, when you guys do these deals, you guys are looking at stuff across the globe, and you're looking at these different jurisdictions, some that respect law, some that don't so much. How do you, what's your approach to, on the legal side, what's your approach to how you guys look at setting up those deals to make sure that as much risk is taken away from from your side of the transaction? Yeah, that's, that's something where the experience comes in, and, and so I've been doing this for for 15 years now and you learn a lot of tricks along the way and and at the end of the day a royalty is a contract and a contract is only as good as the words written on the piece of paper and so I I, I could spend eight hours talking about various things we do in contracts to make sure that our interests are are solidified but at the end of the day you have to make sure that your counterparty is creditworthy you have to make sure that they have the ability to continue their business and make money and invest back into their assets and and you also have to have a form of security interest against their asset in case they don't perform or in case they they make substantial mistakes. And at the end of the day, Sandstorm doesn't want to have to, but uh, we generally have the right to step in and, and own the mine if they're not able to deliver under our contract. So I want to talk more about Sandstorm Gold. So what is your approach? Uh, and I think we kind of touched on a few, but give us your approach to value creation at Sandstorm, maybe in the past and how you're doing it going forward. And how are you aligning your interest with that of the shareholders? Yeah, so I guess those are a couple of different questions. But in terms of what we're doing to create value going forward, we're continuing to acquire streams and royalties that we think are accretive. Right now, one of the competing factors for that capital, though, is our shares because our share price is trading well below what we believe the inherent net asset value is with the present value of the future discounted cash flows of our business. And it's a portfolio of 189 royalties, so it's pretty safe allocation of capital for us to buy it back relative to the new things we're buying. So we've actually uh, committed $100 million Canadian here in 2019 to to buy back our own shares, and, and we're going to do that and see that share buyback through. In fact, in my entire career, I don't think I've seen any precious metal company buy back 10% of their their own shares on the open market. And so I don't know if we'll be the first one to do it, but we'll cer- certainly be the first one I've ever seen to do it. And uh, and that's one of the ways that we're trying to add value to shareholders. We'll, we'll be increasing the value per share to shareholders by doing that. And uh, we, we've run a very clean balance sheet. And so we recently went out and and increased our revolving line of credit, which was undrawn. And we said, we're going to continue if we find very exciting royalties with lots of expiration upside to give shareholders even more exposure to gold. We'll we'll purchase those and we'll purchase them on our line of credit. Uh, we'll make sure that we never draw more on our line of credit than we're capable of paying off in two, two and a half years. Um, I'm very averse to debt. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of these CEOs who wants to stand there and say, yes, we'll be able to pay our debt off in six years or 10 years. 15 years like some companies for me two and a half years is enough and and if we can decrease our share count and increase our revenue and increase our shareholders exposure to gold and exposure to, to expiration upside we'll be happy with the value that we created there i won't go into all the details of how we're trying to be creative to uh, to acquire streams and royalties but but we put a lot of thought into to how to do that and it's it's working well and then in terms of aligning 
interest with shareholders, that's an easy one. Own shares. Uh, our management team, uh, we have a requirement that everyone owns a certain multiple of their compensation in value of shares of Sandstorm. And it, it varies in range depending on your position. But for most people, it's three times your salary. For me, it's five, but that's irrelevant because I own way over 10, probably closer to 20 times in, in share-based exposure compared to uh, to what I actually make. So I'm 100% aligned with, with shareholders and want to grow the value of the shares. So um, two questions for you. What do you what do you think the price per share wise, the net asset value of the company is, if you can share that? And then two, uh, these these ownership requirements of buying the shares, uh, how does how was that accomplished? Is it in the open market or how is that done? Yeah, it's it's generally most people bought their shares in either in the open market or they had uh, restricted share units from past years vast and they uh, they now own the actual shares themselves. In terms of um, what our net asset value per share is, it's uh, illegal under Canadian securities legislation for us to actually say that number. Uh, but what I can tell people is that we will never buy shares above that, and we're actively in the market buying shares. So uh, the answer is clearly if you put two and two together, we believe it's uh, higher than where it is today. Yeah, and I would encourage the audience to go take a look at the uh, the filings. Sandstorm has plenty of filings out there. You can go take a look, and you can come up with a pretty pretty close idea of what that number is. So encourage folks to go look at CDAR for that information. Um, so tell us about the key management team, and what process are you going through evaluating deals in the business, including how some clients are kind of sourced? Do you guys actively pursue some businesses, or do you guys have businesses calling you asking for deals? Kind of how, walk us through that in, in the management team. It goes both ways. I would say the majority of the deals that we do, it's us actively reaching out to them. We find that there's so many companies out there that need money, that don't have money, that want money. Uh, more often than not, they don't have money for a good reason. They shouldn't have money and the projects aren't worth investing in. <laughs> so a lot of the inbound calls that we get are on assets that aren't very good or with management teams that aren't very good. And so we find that the best way to find good deals on good assets is to go out there and do our own research, figure out which assets we like, and then go approach those people and try to convince them why they need to do a transaction with Sandstorm. And that's where we've had most of our success in the past. And and I think that's how we'll continue to, to grow our business going forward. That sounds good. And what, what, are there some other key management folks there that you want to mention that uh, kind of help you yeah, out? Yeah, absolutely. Stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of our management team. Um, you know, Irfan Kazemi is our, our CFO. He is—he's uh, an all-star. He just got ranked as one of the top 40 under 40 in all of Canada. He uh, won CFO of the Year award. Um, I started the business with Dave Orham, who's a smart geologist and and very good entrepreneurial guy, who's also been in this industry for 14 years. I think him and I were the first two employees at the world's first ever streaming company. So we've got the longest amount of experience in the streaming royalty space out of just about anybody in the space, maybe barring guys like David Harkwell over at Franco, Nevada. Um, we've got uh, a number of ex-mining investment bankers that we've hired and, and poached some of the top people uh, from various banks that round out our corporate development team. Our technical team is headed by a guy named Tom Brington, who is one of the world's smartest uh, geologists and engineers. We hired him away. He was running the world's metals, uh, the metals mining petroleum department for the uh, uh, sister entity to the World Bank. It was one of the largest funds at the time. 
is an international finance corporation, and so he now heads up our technical team and has, and has built a team around him. So we've got great geologists, we've got great corporate development people, we've got uh, good senior management, and at the end of the day, uh, well, my my father actually is, his full-time job is mentor to various CEOs, and it, one thing he's always told me ever since I was a little kid is, is when you become CEO one day, your only job is to make sure that you have the right people in the organization and let them do their jobs and make sure that they have the, the tools to be successful. And so I think my proudest achievement at Sandstorm is not so much the assets we bought, but the team that we built and the company that we're building because of it. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. So what differentiates Sandstorm Gold from its larger peers, such as like an Oseco, a Wheaton, a Franco, or a Royal Gold? Yeah, we've got an obsessive compulsive focus on expiration upside. Um, we we only entertain buying things that we think have a substantial amount of upside where a lot of our competitors are they're happy to just bolt on producing royalties even if the asset doesn't have a lot of upside. We figure that the best way to truly outperform in the long term share price wise compared to our, our competitors is to be solely focused on that. We've actually, surprisingly enough, got a larger corporate development team than almost all those companies. And you mentioned Franco Nevada. They're 10 times our size company-wise, but our corporate development team is bigger than theirs because we, we know that in order to find the smart acquisitions that they're missing, we've got to be out there and we've got to be hungry and, and we've got to have more people looking. So uh, we found that that to be an important part of our success. And then and then the technical team, we've we've gone out and, and hired what I believe to be uh, the best technical team out there. And so if you got the right people evaluating the projects and you got enough corporate development people looking for them and you've got the right focus in terms of what you're looking for exploration upside wise, um, and you've got the right business model, which I think all the streaming royalty companies have the right business model, then uh, and good things should happen. So for uh, investors who are looking at kind of the smaller companies, including Sandstorm, tell us why Sandstorm is superior to, say, a Mavericks Metals, uh, maybe a Matello royalty. <laughs> well, uh, candidly, a Matello royalty is, is not something that I follow uh, very closely, so I can't really speak to that. It's a it's a very tiny company. Um, Mavericks Metals is it's a newer company. It has been around for a few years. Uh, it shares do trade, but they kind of trade by appointment. The vast majority of their shares are owned by uh, large mining companies that they've done spin-out deals with and paid for them with their shares. And so I think they're building a, an interesting portfolio of royalties and are worthy of looking at. They've got a good management team. Um, they're based here in Vancouver, and I, I have a lot of respect for their management team. And uh, I, I would keep an eye out on them, but but the market I don't think has, has set kind of like what I would call a real price for their shares yet because it doesn't freely trade and they don't have a, much liquidity. But it's it's definitely worth keeping on investors' radar and seeing how the company evolves over time. Dan O'Flaherty, their CEO, he's a pretty smart guy. Well, tell the audience about Sandstorm Gold's uh, launch lab. How does this work? Yeah, what we found at Sandstorm is that we're we're working hard to find good ideas. And often we come across companies that we go – wow, this asset is way better than the market thinks it is. And everyone out there, every CEO of every junior mining exploration company is out there saying, my asset's the best in the world, please invest in me. And they'll say just about anything to get capital. And so nobody believes anything uh, that junior mining CEOs are saying. And every now and then we come across a CEO who is almost telling the truth. We go, wow, this asset actually is really good. And the market just doesn't know it or doesn't believe it. 
And when we find those types of opportunities that the market is overlooked and those companies are undervalued, but effectively all they're missing is capital. And if they get the capital, good things should happen. Then we we want to not only buy a royalty at Sandstorm, we also want to buy the equity as well because we think the equity will get several multiple returns on its on its capital. And so we uh, we often though because Sandstorm is we're we're not an equity fund and we can't go over 20% ownership in any individual company. Uh, and we want to focus most of our, our capital on buying streams and royalties that we never buy more than 20%. And so often these companies need more equity than that in addition to the royalty capital that we give them. And so what we do is say, look, if we've got people out there who follow Sandstorm, who who understand the quality of our technical team and who would like to know if we found one of those amazing things that we're about to invest in, that we're about to go buy a significant equity stake in as well as a royalty, um, go to Launch Lab. I think we've got a, it's on sandstormgold.com. There's a Launch Lab button that you can click on and put in your email address. And we'll just make sure that you're aware of it while we're putting in that capital. And and they can choose by talking to their investment advisor and by doing their own research with their own investment advisor, whether that individual investment is right for them, but at least they'll have been given the heads up that, hey, we think we found something pretty special. You might want to look at it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I want to ask you just a little bit more on this, get some more details. Uh, so how how does it, uh, so if you find one of these companies, um, is there, do the other investors who you alert about it, do they get the opportunity to get in at the same price level as Sandstorm? And then also, is there is there a past example you can share with us? Yeah, so that's the idea is that they would there would be a financing that would be done by the company. Sandstorm would take a portion of it so that we would get a significant equity stake in the company. And then the rest of the book, if you will, would be filled out by other people. And that's the idea of, of making them aware of the financing so that it would be yes at the same price. Um, and then they would decide if they, they wanted to participate or not. Sandstorm is not an investment advisor. We're not actually legally allowed to make a recommendation saying, hey, you should invest in this. So we, we will never actually do that. Um, and we don't take any fees. So Sandstorm's not doing this to make money off of hoping that those people write the checks. It's just us providing a free service to people who follow Sandstorm and who want to know what we're doing in real time. Sometimes when we're doing these transactions, we're only investing 2 or $3 million at a time because these are, are small companies, and that's not big enough for Sandstorm to put out a press release. So if you're on Sandstorm's newsletter list, you might not ever, or even on our news release list, you might not ever hear about this unless you're on the Launch Lab list because we won't be putting out press releases when we do these types of things. So I would encourage uh, the audience to take a look at that and, and sign up. It's on their website. It's obvious. Uh, go take a look at it if you're interested. Um, so Nolan, can you can you share with us a past a past name that was under this uh, system or, or not? Well, one of the the reasons that uh, we started with this <clears throat> was because we did a similar thing with a company called Mariana Resources. We had gotten a two percent NSR on um, asset called Hot Modern Realizers, this company called Mariana that owned 30% of it. And I immediately, uh, once our technical team told me how amazing the asset was, went out, phoned the CEO and said, hey, can we buy a significant stake in your company? He said, yes. He opened the book up to other people. We went around telling anyone who would listen, hey, you should seriously take a look at this and go talk to the company. And so a bunch of people did put in money and and then eventually the company got taken out by us of all people because it, <laughs> the asset turned out to be so good. Um, for several multiples returns on capital later, 
and we had a whole bunch of other people saying, hey, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and we said, well, we didn't really have a mechanism for organizing who wanted emails and who wanted to know. And so we created this because of that that event. We've been very shy to actually, we haven't actually sent out an email under Launch Lab yet because the market's been falling for the entire year while we've been, been setting it up and, and starting to create the list. And you never want to go tell people to look at a gold investment while gold prices are not going up. Uh, so we're starting to get into a market here where, where we think the wind's at the back of gold and therefore gold companies and therefore probably the share prices of gold companies. And so we're we're working hard to, to try to find something that we can invest in ourselves and then alert people to under Launch Lab. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of that and, and what you guys send out on there. So I, I believe I'm signed up. So I, I certainly want to take a look and have, have the emails come into our offices to take a look at what's going on there. Can you give us an update on that, on the matter? Uh, how was how was the acquisition and how's progression going over there? Yeah, Hod Modern you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. So Hod Modern is uh, it's progressing well since we acquired our 30% profit interest. Uh, they've completed a a feasibility study that project operators, a company called Liddy Made in Chilic, they're a, a large multi-billion dollar conglomerate company. And so they're pushing the asset forward. They finished a pre-feasibility study. They did a series of trade-off studies. Uh, they have pushed the asset into a feasibility study. And in Turkey, you're allowed to permit off of a pre-feasibility study. So they're already in full-blown permitting. They don't have to wait till the feasibility is done to do the permitting. So they're doing that right now. And they're pushing the asset full bore ahead. They've found a whole bunch more gold ounces since we originally bought it. So there's the expiration upside piece that, that we're talking about and one of the ways that we think we add value to shareholders. And, and so we're pretty excited about it. The, the plan is sometime next year to start constructing the mine. Okay. And, and when do you expect, uh, assuming things go according to plan and budget, uh, when do you expect to start seeing some returns flow into uh, Sandstorm Gold? Yeah, so the mine should be up and running by 20, 2022 is, is the idea right now. Okay. So what major milestones are coming down the pipe for Sandstorm Gold royalties in 2019 and on into 2020? Yeah, we've got a few of them. Uh, one is we've got Equinox is completing construction of their Arizona mine. We have a 3 to 5% net smelter revenue royalty on that project, which will pay us several million dollars a year once that's up and running. So we're looking forward to starting to collect checks from that this year. Uh, so stay tuned for, for those announcements from Equinox. We've got Yamana's completed construction of their Ceramoro mine, and that is just kicking in. We think we're going to get our first uh, effectively check from that stream slash royalty in Q2 of 2019, and that will be single-handedly the largest stream of royalty that we've ever had come online in the history of Sandstorm, so we're pretty excited about that. We think we're going to be getting, if all goes according to plan, we should be getting record revenue again in 2019 because of those things. We've got a few other smaller royalties that will also be turning on. But one of the other big pieces is expiration upside. We've actually gone two years running where more ounces of gold were found on our properties that we have royalties on than were mined on the properties. And so investors who have invested in us in the past have been able to have a certain number of ounces attributable to them at the beginning of the year, they get all of the cash flow from the operations during the year. And at the end of the year, there's still more ounces. And that's before acquisitions being made. And so I think expiration is going to play out this year and hopefully that'll happen again. And then 
the final thing is we're continuing to do, do more deals. We just announced a couple of weeks ago that we acquired a $33 million royalty on a, a fantastic project down in Ecuador that Colombian Gold is building right now. It's actively under construction. I think it's half built already. And we're working on some more deals as we speak, and we expect to have more announcements in 2019 for other deals. And again, all those deals will come with, with no dilution because we're, we're not issuing shares. We're buying back shares. Yeah, very interesting. I, I appreciate the information on that. I, yeah, I, I did see that news release about what you guys are doing down there in Ecuador. And of course, there are a couple other companies down there that are doing some interesting things. Illumina Gold, one of them certainly uh, has some interesting uh, position where they're at on their project. And of course, you mentioned Equinox, uh, more or less the same group of folks. And uh, so it's pretty uh, pretty exciting times coming ahead. So, Nolan, uh, for potential investors who are looking to add a royalty or streaming company to their portfolio, why should they be looking at Sandstorm Gold today? Well, if I think about why I have such a large percentage of my net worth in Sandstorm, it's because I a, am a believer in gold long term. I'm particularly excited, as I said, about gold right now. I believe that royalties and streams are a better way to invest in, in precious metals generally. If you buy just gold, then you only get the up and down price movements of gold. But if you buy a, a streaming company, you get a return on your capital and you get even more return when gold prices go up. And even if gold prices don't go up, you should be able to get a return on your capital. So if you invest in gold and gold doesn't go anywhere, you don't make any money. If you invest in Sandstorm and gold doesn't go anywhere, you should still make money if we're doing our jobs properly. And uh, and I think it's it's something that you also get diversification for. There are some streaming royalty companies that only own five royalties. Well, that's not very diversified. Uh, Sandstorm, you get 189 streams and royalties, and that's highly diversified. So there's safety and diversification too. So whenever you can have a return on your capital, you can have the right business model, you have a good management team, you have all the kind of right pieces and, and the exploration upside piece all tied together in, in one investment. That's kind of what makes me excited about it. That's why I put so much of my net worth in it. Yeah, and I would add that uh, when you when you get in with the right royalty and streaming company that has a really good management team, uh, you can do quite well and certainly outperform and, and uh, in some cases do even better than uh, some of these equities that are up and down. So it's it's quite quite uh, an interesting proposition. So uh, how can interested investors reach out to Sandstorm and what events will you be attending over the next few months so that investors have an idea of where you'll be? The easiest thing to do is go on our website, sandstormgold.com, and there's a huge amount of information that we've put out there. We've got a thing called the Asset Handbook, which literally shows every single royalty that we own. And for anyone, any of those individual ones, that has got a material valuation. We've got analysis on it, details about who the property owner is, reserves, resources, property maps. I mean, everything that you could ever want to know about Sandstorm's portfolio is in our Asset Handbook. We've got videos, presentations. And then there's also, if there's information that is, is missing or additional questions that people have, we've got a phone number on the website that they can call that'll take us right to Kim Forgard, who's in charge of our corporate communications, and, and she can either answer those questions or, or get the answers for you. We're at, we're at all the main conferences, like the PDAC, which is coming up in, in Toronto at the beginning of March. Uh, for institutional investors, I'm going to be at the BMO conference in Florida that happens at the end of this month, and then uh, and we'll be at a few other small conferences throughout the year. Well, Nolan, we really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Well, thank you.